It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Welcome back. Last week, we spoke to Ben Shapiro, and I loved his thoughts on multitasking and just being present in the moment so you can give whatever you're doing your full attention. And that goes for both home and work. It is a good reminder for all of us. This week, I am thrilled to be joined by someone who has given her attention to bringing joy through music. It's time to lift your gaze from the daily tasks in front of you and see the career and life on your horizon. This requires digging a little deeper, considering the inner traits that are important for success and evaluating yourself on a scale beyond whether you can get through your daily to-do list. You're working to be a more resilient person, someone who is driven yet calm, super competent, and hopefully cheerful through it all. Amy Mayo is a Grammy-nominated songwriter and author of the book Talking to the Sky. Amy has written songs for Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney, Adam Lambert, Carrie Underwood, Sarah Evans, The Backstreet Boys, and the list really does go on and on. Albums featuring her songs have sold over 155 million units worldwide, and she is one of the few females to receive both BMI's Country Song of the Year and Songwriter of the Year awards. Mayo, it's so great to know you, to call you a friend, and to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm so happy to be on here. This is like the biggest, best podcast I've ever done. Well, we're going to make it so, that is for sure. (laughs) Um, Why don't you just give everyone just a quick background of where you grew up, where you're from, and then who were your role models when you were a little girl? Okay, um... I grew up in Gadsden, Alabama, which is like a little map dot and in the middle of nowhere. It's getting bigger. But and um, my role, I always wanted to move to Nashville and I moved there like when I was 19. But my role models, I'm just going to say the first people that pop in my head. Perfect. Um, I love Cindy Lauper and I love Oprah and I love Maya Angelou and I loved... Um, let me think. I've got a lot of role models now. I'm having okay, a hard well, time ha, thinking ha, then. Okay, well, yeah, that's. I actually wanted to ask you about that because as I wrote my book, I was thinking about um, the chapter. I have a chapter called uh, How to Find a Role Model or How to Find, oh, a, I love that how to find a Mentor. And one of my things that I realized when I was doing the um, book publicity was that I still find role models now. They're maybe more like my peers. Um, yes. They don't necessarily have to be older than me. And... Um, they might even be younger than me, right? Oh, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of interesting. That's the same as me. But with my role models, you're one of my role models ah, because you. you you have so many gifts that I don't. Like you, you're so good at so many things that I'm not, and I'm always trying to learn. 
Like, but I love you. I love Reese Witherspoon. And I'm just, a, I just am obsessed with trying to be organized and get more done in the day. And like, I love that she can run that company with all those women. You know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. Like, then I love Taylor. Talking about being younger, I've learned a lot of stuff from Taylor Swift. Um, Chris just went out. <laughs> I've learned a lot of stuff from Taylor Swift that even though like she was born the year I graduated high school, but I, I'm telling you some of the best lessons I learned. One thing I think about all the time from her and her mom, when she had a record deal like at Sony, the biggest label in town, they told her she couldn't write her songs. And so she walked away. And I mean, I remember standing in our driveway just being floored because she was a teenager and she walked away from the biggest record label in town because they wouldn't let her write her songs. And her mom said, this will never work if she doesn't write her songs. Meanwhile, I had never seen a teenager write a hit. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it was just like, this is crazy. But she, I just learned from her to surround yourself with people who believe in your dream. And because if they think you can't do something, they're not going to help you do what you're trying to do. That's a great point. That's a great point. Tell me about, um, tell us a story about um, working with Taylor Swift and when you realized, oh, wow, she's amazing. I realized it like within five minutes. Mm. Um, she was different than anybody that I had ever worked with. Probably any girl, no matter what age I'd ever worked with. Like one of my favorite things, the first time she came over, um, our, our son Oscar was like three. And so when we came outside, I don't know why I remember it so clear, but I do. Like we came outside and um, he was like talking to her real animated. He had just got out of the pool. And so he's standing there shivering. And so when we went, walked out to the studio, he followed us out there and she was putting her guitar down and everything. And Oscar came over to me and he, and he like whisper he was trying to whisper but he said when me grow up me want to work with that girl uh -huh. so i knew he had she had something like because he was just captivated by her and he never paid attention but then she sat down and got her guitar out and like i remember i pitched her an idea and i still remember the idea it was cloud 999 <laughs> And she's like, I don't know about that. I've got some I've been working on. And then she just took off. Like, she just knew what she wanted to say. And like, I've never seen anything like it. Like, mm. she, I, she, I just learned so much from her. And y'all have a lot of the qualities that are the same about like, like just making a list of things and going after them and, and staying focused on those things till they're done. I don't know. I think that you're giving me a little bit too much credit. <laughs> Well, no, I just think I, I love your book. And there's so many things in that book that have helped me. Like the thing about, I mean, all the advice, it goes across the board. I love the thing about telling women about rent the runway. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. if you got an important meeting, like in a first impression. And I love the thing about role models. And I love that. My favorite thing right now about that book is that thing you did about the whiteboard list. Oh, the whiteboard incident. Did, yeah. Yeah. So good where you do your, um, you know, your big, because right now I got a lot of big problems I'm trying to solve. And like, I, I do this list and I'm like, oh my God, I've got way more negatives on here. 
Well, yeah, it right. gives you a chance to like sit down and, and, and like put a, this. That, the whiteboard incident was really uh, when I was at a career crossroads and Peter sat me down and he is more, um, you know, he and I are a good team in that he balances me out and I think I balance him out. And when I get to a point where I'm not sure what to do and I'm frustrated, also, I didn't want to disappoint him because I wanted to move back to D.C. and I knew that in my gut, but we were living in San Diego and he worked from home and life was great. But I was so bored in my work. And he knew that, but he didn't want to say that. He wanted me to get to the decision on my own. And it was just dragging on and on. And finally, he said, okay, let's do this. And he got out the whiteboard and he said, tell me all the things you want to do in a job. Like, what are the things you'd like to do? So I told him all those. And then, then he said, tell me all the things you do not want to do in a job. And I said, all those. And then he assigned a numerical value to each thing. And then when we added them up, it was very clear that basically it was like any job in D.C. was better than staying in San Diego for any job there. So it just I helped me. It's like, it's like very, it was just very clear. And even then I was like, wow, I don't know. But then 9-11 happened and um, my life changed dramatically as well as well, so many other people's. But I, that's when I ended up going back to D.C. Um, but you had a kind of an interesting situation. Uh, first of all, you are an amazing author. You wrote a book called Talk, Talking to the Sky. And yes. I love this book so much. I got um, an early copy. I was able to, um, you know, prom- to promote that book wh- wherever I could. Um, I believe that everybody listening to this podcast should buy the book, should read it. They will love the stories. It was laugh, cry, laugh, which is the, my favorite. <laughs> That's how I think writing should be, like a chapter. It's laugh, cry, laugh, and they, because you, you, you take us on your amazing journey. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you had an unusual situation in Nashville in that when you got there, you, you kind of had, had a hit right away. Is that right? Well, uh, yeah, I don't like it. Well, I had a hit quicker than a lot of people did. Yeah, I know you're very humble about it, and I know that it's kind of just a chance thing, I, and I don't mean to, to make it sound like you're... Like, uh, well, you know what I, I mean? The thing, I just think like, it's kind I, of a crazy story. It is. It's really, really, really crazy. But you just made me think about something when you said that. I get nervous saying that because I have so many people ask me about they want to move to Nashville. And like if somebody hears, usually it to me, I tell people it's just like college. Usually it takes four years. You know what I mean? Before you'll even get a song like even a song on a record at all and and sometimes it takes longer so I get nervous telling people like the first song I ever wrote in Nashville got cut but that is such an anomaly that it's crazy I mean I don't even know I don't know if I've what ever was that even song heard called? that before it was a song called um places I've never been well wait strangers and then places I've never been they got cut around the same time that's amazing and who sang but, those but th- um, the thing, let's see, um, Mark Wills sang one of them, and then Sarah Evans sang one of Sarah them. Sarah Evans, she's been on the podcast. Oh, I love her. We wrote her first, um, we wrote her first, like, I don't know if it was her first single, but it was the title of her first record. And the funny thing is when I moved to Nashville, I was so naive. I probably still am. But when I moved here, there was this guy, Harlan Howard. He was like the legendary songwriter. And um, every he was like the biggest songwriter at that time that had ever been here. And he was famous for saying this quote 
about if you want to write a country song, all you need is three chords in the truth. And so I heard that and just went and wrote it. And like, I never, it never even occurred to me, like that is this guy's thing that he's known for. And I saw him one time, like at a bar and he just looked at me kind of mean. <laughs> Because I guess he never thought about writing that idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it was so good. It is good. And now people say that all the time. Um, how did you overcome being told early on that you were tone deaf? Well, I just like something in my heart didn't believe it. My da- and, and plus, I didn't understand because I had sang like I had sang solos and like my I loved chorus at school. And my teacher would always give me a solo in it. And so when my dad told me we, I mean, that just broke, I could cry. (laughs) I could still cry about it, but that just broke my heart because Mm -hmm. I looked up to him so much. You know what I mean? He was like kind of my guiding force. And when, when he told me I was tone deaf, I was just like devastated. And then, and, but then I argued with him and I'm like, I don't <laughs> think I am, you know, like, I don't think I'm tone deaf. And what had happened, I sang this song at like this little karaoke place where they recorded it. And I still have that. I still have that cassette. And what had happened on it was Chris, my husband said that I sang it in the same key that it was on the radio because that's how I had learned it. It was that song, The Rose by Bette Midler. And um, so I stayed in the same key as the song was cut in. But then at the studio, it was in a different key. And so he he says, I almost I have almost perfect pitch. I'm not that I'm the greatest singer, but like somehow I don't even understand pitch, but I've had a couple of people tell me that. <laughs> I'm so glad that you don't understand pitch because whenever I watch the voice and they say it was too pitchy, I'm like, what does that even mean? It's weird. I hear it all the time, like in the boat, like if somebody's cutting a vocal and it really, if you just, if it sounds like it, if it's not exactly right and it kind of makes your shoulders like cringe a little yeah. It's it's probably a pitch issue. Well, one of my favorite songs that you wrote and that you sing as well, is it called Liar? Yes, Liar. And And people can find that on YouTube, right? No, I need no. To, I don't have anything with me singing. You need to have that song on YouTube because I've had that song in my head ever since we got together <laughs> this summer, but I only know like the chorus and I don't even know if I have it exactly right. So, um it's about I'll put it on YouTube because it's easy to do. I, you know what? I, you should do that. And I'm going to give a copy of that song to Judge Janine uh, because she wrote a <laughs> song called Liars, Liberals and Leakers or something like Liars, Leakers or so, Liars, Liberals and Leakers or something like that. Obviously, your song is not political. It is about a loser guy. But um, anyway, it was really good. Tell me a little bit about what you've seen over the past few years. Uh, and maybe you could even broaden it out to 10 to 15 years of women in songwriting and women in the field of country music? I have analyzed this inside and out because I remember sitting in my publisher's office like about seven or eight years ago, and we were looking at the chart, and there were only three girls in the top 40, and one of them was a duet. Like, So it wasn't even like a full female artist, but I've got like, I've got, opinions that probably a lot of the artists wouldn't wouldn't like like one thing I think is I think Taylor Swift just hit this town like a tsunami 
And she changed so much because ever since like she was here and blew up, every girl thinks that they, they are supposed to write every song on their record. But the problem with a lot of them is that they don't, they haven't written enough to get great. Like it takes, Chris always says time is talent and, or talent is time. Like you, you have to do something a lot to get good at it. But see, Taylor was writing at 13. And I think that's the thing that we had in common because I did get that song cut like, you know, so early, but see, I was like, it talks about in the book, I was stuck in my bedroom grounded. Mm -hmm. I had written as much as anybody just about like, Mm -hmm. that was, you know, a newer songwriter. By the time I got here, I had it. I had a list of titles, like 10,000 titles. And um, so I think with females on the radio, one problem is that they're everybody like you'll see guys, they will record outside songs. I mean, like all the guys that have had these long careers like Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney, Blake Shelton, Garth. I mean, all the all the long term stars. They, if they found a hit song, they would record it, just like Miranda Lambert with The House That Built Me. So I think the songs can be a big problem. But at the same time, girls don't get the same chance as guys because a lot of the songs on the radio just sound like one long song because they're all this bro country thing. And I feel like it's gotten to where girls don't get the same chances because mm. you can get a mediocre guy song, you know, on the radio, but with a female, mm. it's going to have to be a giant hit. But see, the girls that do break through, like Maren Morris, and um, like she, to me, I'm blown away by her because I love her. She's a great songwriter. But she had a publishing deal for a long time. Casey Musgraves, you know, she, all those girls that are working kind of have the same model. Mm-hmm. And that Ang- Ingrid Andrus. Yes. I don't know yeah, I love her song. Right. Yeah, yeah, that I song is too. great. Casey Musgraves so, is great. Casey Musgraves blows me away. I just love, I just love. Do you ever write a song? Like, I wonder, I'm curious about the process. Do you ever think of a song or a lyric or song? And what what comes first that you think of the lyric? And then do you think of this? Do you picture in your mind who would sing it? Or do you just, oh, you do? Okay. Well, I do. Chris and a lot of people don't. But like every time that. We got to get a little further down it, but I'm always thinking who I wish would record it. But but when the ideas come, a lot of times they'll come in conversation or I might hear something in another song that triggers something like an emotion or something I want to write something like. But if we sit down to write like I may have a title already. But the ideas usually come with the lyrics. I just start singing and try not to think about it too much. We'll be right back with more of this interview right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Let's go through a few of the songs. Okay. Because I... I want people to understand like who we are talking to. You're an, <laughs> an incredibly accomplished songwriter. And I wonder in Nashville, do you ever hear from artists who say, if you ever write another song like this or that, call me first? Yeah. Is it competitive like that? 
Um, yeah, it, it, it's crazy competitive. Like I do love, there's more females here, like rotten, like rotten songs. There's so many talented girls here now. And I didn't mean to say there's not talented artists. There's, there are a lot of them, but the ones that are doing the best are the best songwriters, you know, like, I think that's a big part of Taylor too, the songwriting, but, um, the thing like with artists, yeah, they'll tell me all the time. Like if somebody else say, if you ever write another song, like a girl anthem, like this was for the girls, play it for me first. Or I know one time Kenny Chesney, I had this song on Tim McGraw called 17 and Kenny called me and he was like, okay, if you ever write another song like that, pitch it to me first. And then he ended up having a hit the next year called Young. And it was kind of the same vibe and everything. But so people will hear something and tell you, you know, if you do something else like that. And that happened a bunch with Amazed. But like we try, everybody wanted to write a big love song with us after that one. Like, and there's nothing as cheesy as a bad love song. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so We've Amazed, so many. Um, tell us a little bit about um, how, how Amazed came to be. Well, I was falling in love with Chris and then our co-writer, Mark Green, he was falling in love with his wife, Tasha. And I'm just convinced that the feeling got in that song because still, if like I'm in the car or something and I hear the that little uh-huh. intro part, I get that feeling mm. that that love. You can, you can How did you find out that Boys to Men was going to record that song? I don't even know that I found out till they had already done it. Oh. And and then I was so excited because it was so different. I love it when somebody takes something and makes it their own. Yeah, they really did. I've got a I've got a whole list, like, because we're talking movie stuff on the book and like I've got some big meetings. I I really believe it'll be a movie. And um that I've got this whole list of my little dream soundtrack in my head, you know, of who I want to do like covers and stuff. I love covers. You know, I love covers. Me too. Oh, you, you've got the best, like you, you're like a jukebox. (laughs) (laughs) It it was just called Spotify. Um, You know, every song, like you turned me on to so many songs. I didn't know. um, Did you, and you, did you write the Blake Shelton with the Blake Shelton song? Every time I hear that song. Yeah, yeah. That's a great song. And yeah, so like with that, something like that, oh, that's a great story, right? Because that was just by chance that he saw the name oh, of that, that song yes. and he said, oh, wait, I should record this. Well, it was a crazy story because like I'd never had, that's another thing about being a songwriter. You're just living on faith because you don't have any control of anything. And um, so like with Blake, I had never had this happen. He he put that song on hold and he, he really liked it. And six months went by and then I got a call the day before his record was done that he didn't do, he didn't record it. Well then two years later, he put it on hold again, held it for like nine months and let it go. And we saw him at the country music awards and I was making a beeline for him. And Chris grabbed me. I just wanted to know what is your deal with this song? But um, because I'd never had that happen. And so then he saw it in a box and it's like, oh, I always let, he saw the CD. Oh, I always loved that song. Went in and cut it. And then like, 
I love Blake Shelton is one of the most down to earth people. I absolutely love him. He just feels like your cousin. He doesn't have any star trip at all. Okay, wait, you have to tell people this story about, you know, working your way up and it just takes a while. And one of the places you worked when you first got there was um, a restaurant diner. You can tell us the name. Um, And who was one of your regular customers that you saw all the time? Um, It was this place called Brown's Diner and it was like in the back of a trailer. (laughs) And so that that little place, I actually went in there. My dad sent me in there and um, to put an application in. But all the waitresses were like in their 50s and I was like 20. And um, so I was like, this place is nuts. And I was about to walk out. And then um, I think it was Garth Brooks came in like with a big table. So every day I was right, I was waiting on like some of the biggest stars in country. And then that's where I got to be real good friends with Kenny Chesney. And we've been friends all these years. Like he was just dreaming. I was dreaming of being, you know, a songwriter and he was dreaming of playing stadiums. And he's just, I just love him. I mean, he's, He's one of my best oldest what are the friends. So- what are some of the songs you've written with him or for him? Uh, Bar at the End of the World is one, right? Yes, Bar at the End of the World. And then he wrote one of my favorite songs that I've ever been a part of. Um, and it's one it's one of the few songs I ever play out when we do songwriter nights. Um, it's called Who You'd Be Today. And oh, it's about one. losing my friend, like my mm-hmm. friend died young. And um, that one just is so emotional. And he just did such a great job because he had lost a friend in high school, too. Mm-hmm. Then my last song related question, I think, until I get to the future. Um, tell me about the Dog Gone song. Oh, gosh, I had that idea for four years. I tend to write a lot of like a lot of my ideas are almost like I didn't realize this till a year or two ago. They're like little short stories. And so um, I saw this friend of mine, Jaron Johnson, had posted on Instagram that he lo- he's like, I lost my best friend today. And he had these pictures, like a little collage of him and his dog. And like, I just, I, I texted him instantly. We need to write, you know, I've always wanted to write a song, you know, about a dog. Like, cause my dad had a hit song about a dog and I've always wanted to, and I bugged him for years i sent that idea to like probably 20 of the biggest songwriters in town and just everybody nobody responded so then i drug in tom douglas who's like a hall of fame songwriter probably the most respected songwriter in nashville i lured him in to get jaron through him and so once he was on board then Jaron decided to write it with us. And the funny thing is Jaron couldn't even get through the work tape. He was crying so hard. And I didn't know if he remembered, but he said, Amy's been trying to get me to write this song for four years. <laughs> uh-huh. But that one, I, we lost our dog too. Mm-hmm. I just can't. I mean, to me also, like when people lose their dog or any pet probably, but when they do, your your dog is like, like even when you don't want to be around anybody, you yeah. want them there. They come for you in a way that people can't. And like my dog girlfriend is like my soulmate dog. I mean, I just 
But it's like she's like my Jasper, you know, like Jasper is the most chill dog. Like our dog is a freak. But Jasper, like, I would love to just see the two of them together. That would be so fun. Maybe one day. One day. Um uh, just a couple other questions. Um obviously you're um you're not sitting at a desk, you know, nine to five. Um you are kind of thinking and creating all the time. But you've also raised three children and girlfriend. Um, and you are married and you have rich friendships and you try to balance it all. Do you have a, any good tips for anybody listening about how, as women, they can handle the work-life balance in a better way for themselves? Well, this is what popped in my head with that. Like, one thing is, I think it's so important, like, as a parent to go after your dream because your kids are watching you. And I could get so emotional about this, but like, you know, I worked on that book for 15 years and it like a third of my life. So my 13 year old, I was working on the book before she was born. And what finally gave me the strength to let it go was that I realized my kids have watched me all their lives and work on this book. And if I let fear hold me back, then that's going to be more heartbreaking than if it failed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that will, that will affect their lives. They'll, they'll, you know, not go after their dreams if they see me afraid. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it would be, it would be better. Like my biggest fear, I think would be, was to release it and nobody cared. That was like my biggest fear. And just cause I'd spent so much time on it and I was beating myself up all the time about how much time I'd spent on it. And um, that, that right there was really good. And I think it could help people because, you know, your kids, they're watching, they're watching what you do and, and it'll affect their lives in ways that, you know, even if you take a chance, regardless of what happens, it, it, they're watching you. And that's the thing. It's so hard too when you're doing something and you feel compelled to do it or you have a dream and you don't know why. You know what I mean? Like I like I I spent so much time on that book and I didn't know why I was doing it. And that but I was just compelled to do it. And then now what's so awesome is people people are telling me why. You know what I mean? Like they're like I get messages like somebody said, this is a book for dreamers and I'm going to go after this, you know, and stuff like that. And then um, people that are just in hopeless places. And um, that's what I realized after, you know, I I just hope it's hel- it is helping people. I get messages yeah. and I love what you said about the laughing, because I think it's harder to make somebody laugh than make them cry. Yeah, yeah. And I love that your dream is to have this book out there to help others um, and to get your story out there, which your story is amazing. I love this book so much. But I, oh. I I like that you had the goal and the dream of it becoming a movie and you visualize that and you are not going to let anybody tell you. You're, you're like Taylor Swift. You're not going to let anybody <laughs> tell you that this is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's Chris told me, he says, he says my biggest quality is I can take a beating better than anybody. Like I just get back up like every time I'll get knocked, you know, across the room and get back up and just keep going. Like, cause I think no means not yet. You know what I mean? Like I'm, or no is just the wrong person. Like, I think it really hurts my heart when I see people 
they get rejected and they maybe even they only get rejected once or twice and they give up because I think for me, I just think, I believe in my heart, it's going to be a movie. And I always have, and people tell me, you know, like even Rick Springfield said he thought it would be a movie. And um, so I just have that vision in my heart and head and I always have had it like, and plus that was mine and my dad's thing going to the movies. Um, that was just how we connected kind of like through music too. But we always, I went to see that movie one flew over the cuckoo's nest when I was five with him. <laughs> and I told him at the end that Indian really liked that guy. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? No, I don't think so. Oh God, it's so good. It's got Jack Nicholson in it, but yeah, I've got, I want that guy, Danny McBride, to play my dad. <laughs> and I've got, I've got a couple of the cast people in my head, but I know I won't have control of that. But I'm taking those meetings coming up and I'm just following my gut because it's hard when you don't know what to do. Wait right there. We'll have more next. What's next on the songwriting front? I'm, a, I'm excited to work on the soundtrack. I know the movie's not being made yet, but I'm real excited to work on the soundtrack. Yeah. Like it's part of it's part of why I named the chapters song titles. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm excited. Like I've got ideas for covers like Chris Stapleton. I want him and his wife to do Dream On by Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. And then I want Jamie Johnson and Slash to do Free Bird. I got a whole <laughs> list. And then I've got songs I want to write. Like, and I've got people I want to write them with. Like, I love that girl, Julia Michaels. I got one of them I want to write with her. So I'm trying to focus on that, like, because I think it'll come, the day will come, and then I'll have all that ready. Amy, you're amazing. Amazing. <laughs> you're amazing. You're amazing. You're one of my favorite people. We're in the Mutual think- Admiration Society. It's and it's funny because we are different from each other. Like it's, I was telling Chris something the other day, and he was laughing. Oh, about that hatchet thing about oh. the publisher. <laughs> Just let's tell everybody. So, my um, I, I, my publisher is twelve, but twelve is um, an imprint within um, the larger company Hachette, and they're a big company. And, and like I think I'm, I think they're based in France, actually in Paris. But anyway, um, so. Amy, I've been talking about her book and publishers and agents and all of this stuff. And then um, about, I don't know, four or five months ago, uh, she called and said that she um, had this new book agent and she had a meeting in New York with the people from Hatchet. No, Hatchet, you said, with Hatchet. And it is spelled like that, but it's like French. Um, And I said, oh, you mean Hachette. And then I caught myself like, oh, that was rude. But then you started laughing so hard. Oh, it was hilarious. Like, and plus you saved me from embarrassing myself. Like if I'd got, we it was like, it meeting. was like a lipstick on your teeth moment. If I had went in there and like said, you know, well, uh, what does Hatchet think about this? I don't even know. I mean, they would, uh, they already think like I'm a bumpkin or something from Nashville. And then when I, if I went in there and said that, I think, I don't even know what they would think. But it's funny when you said that. I'd, it's funny because you don't ever know. You think somebody might feel something about what you say. I loved that. Thought it was funny. Like, it's real hard for me to get embarrassed about anything. I mean, it has to be really messed up. Yeah. But yeah. 
But I do worry sometimes, like, you know, you're always worried how people take stuff because you have no idea. It's like that with the book. I was so worried about certain people in my family. And I was so worried about like some of my aunts because there's such personal and vulnerable stuff in there about our family. And it just totally was the opposite of what I was expecting. I mean, it kind of made them realize how they grew up and what they grew up in. And Mm -hmm. they had never looked at it that way. I thought they were going to be mad or hurt, but it totally was different. I mean, completely different. And that and one weird thing is I've gotten so many messages from people. I got one yesterday, like that are just saying things like, thank you for being so vulnerable and and stuff like that. And it's like I realized some of the people like at the kids private school, I thought they were going to be so judgmental. And just some of these women I already thought look at me like a black sheep up there. And then they just turned into different people. They start telling me their stories, which are a mm-hmm. lot of them similar. Well, and maybe we that's why totally... you're such a successful songwriter. I mean, everyone has a story and then you're not writing about bro and beer. Um, so you connect with people on a deeper level. Yeah, because we are all so much. I mean, we all have the same problems like, you know, and everybody. That's another thing for anybody that wants to be a songwriter Instead of trying to think of what people want to hear, just write down what you feel. You know what I mean? Because like we all feel the same things, whether you're going through a heartache or falling in love or like I wrote so many songs about death after my dad died. Yeah. Like I just and, oh and my that's gosh. something. You know how so we were, I, I swear, people, this is the last thing I'm going to ask her because I got to run to the five as well. But remember that song that, that I was playing you some those new songs from Walker Hayes? Yes, okay. I love Walker Hayes. Me too. Okay, I so, messaged him. Oh, you did? Did he write back yet? I, no, but I'm going to bug him some more. So he has a song um, with Lori McKenna that just came out. Well, I don't know if it's out. Um, it's something about my I father. It's something about my dad's briefcase. Um, she She's amazing. Yes. It, it's, it is such a good song about... Oh, here it is. It's just called Briefcase by, um, oh gosh, can't play it. I don't want to get sued. Um, Briefcase featuring Laurie McKenna by Walker Hayes. But it's all about him growing up and him thinking that his dad had like a really boring job and he wasn't paying attention to the kids enough. And he's always with his, with his briefcase. And then he said, um, I guess that the guitar case isn't that different from a briefcase. Oh, God. And it's so good. <laughs> You know what I she mean? She blows me away. She blows She's terrific. Me away. And you're right. I think that women are writing some great songs in Nashville, and you are one of them. Uh, Amy, I'm going to run. I appreciate you, and I'm sure everyone learned a lot today and had a lot of fun as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dana. I hope you enjoyed listening to Amy Mayo. She has so many great stories. Her book, Talking to the Sky, is spectacular. You should get to know her work and follow her. She is really a woman to watch there in Nashville and is a great American. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.